Hard not to clap for that one. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, this night together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the celebration of redemption, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God, we ask you to be with us this evening. Pray that you would bless your word as it's read. Be with us as we sing, that we would do so with hearts that are filled with true gratitude. And ask you, our God, to help us to remember that Christ was born in order that he may die and be resurrected from the dead to redeem a people to himself. Thank you, our God, for your grace and kindness to us, Lord. May, may we be overwhelmed as we con- uh, consider it. In Christ's name, amen. Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis. Genesis is written between 1446 and 1406 B.C. by Moses. The events that occurred in uh, the books of Genesis in the first 12 chapters are historical, but they cannot really be dated completely. So Genesis chapter 3. As far as when the events occurred, I'm not talking about when it was written. We know when it was written. This is the account of the fall of the race. It's important to keep this in mind as we come to the text uh, for uh, the sermon this uh, this evening. Uh, And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Of course, she disobeyed his commandment. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise of the coming Messiah. As Christ in his life did battle with Satan... And upon the cross of Calvary, Christ was bruised. He suffered. And yet, upon the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of the dead, the serpent's head was crushed. And so that now, according to Romans 8, 1, a great verse you should memorize, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's uh, the Christmas story. Would you take your hymns, hymnals and turn to page 208 and please stand as we sing, um, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, hymn number 208.
next scripture reading comes from the gospel, not the gospel, the gospel's all through it, but the book of Isaiah and the ninth chapter. I know that if you were raised in a Christian home or if you were not, uh, then you're familiar with the Christmas story and some of these passages I know you're familiar with. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah was uh, a prophet who lived in the 8th century B.C. Uh, his work is one of the most, or probably the most Christological prophet in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, now listen to these names assigned to Christ, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a reference. This is a reminder that the church shall ever prevail. I was talking to a man in Hattiesburg, home, my hometown, and uh, we were talking about the possibility of the church facing severe persecution. And I made this comment, the church shall continue to prevail. And he said this, the church survived the Roman Empire. And there was a time when there was a lot of persecution against the church from Rome, the Roman Empire, from the emperors that ruled at that time. So our Christ's kingdom shall ever stand. Next hymn is 
O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, hymn 194. It's one of my favorite Christmas carols. You may remain seated as we sing hymn number 194. Testament, um, the book of Matthew and Luke are the two Gospels that contain what we call the birth narratives. Uh, they emphasize different aspects of uh, the birth of Christ. They're consistent, and Luke is interested in covering different matters that Matthew covered. But the very, very familiar one, Luke chapter 2, Starting in verse 8, the announcements of, to the shepherds uh, of the birth of Christ by the angels. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Uh, this was the first Christmas carol, if you will, as the angels sang their announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything, any event that includes the singing of angels uh, is a significant event. So...
Thank you, Miss Price. Leontine Price. Thank you, Soph. How many people know who Leontine Price is or was? She's a great opera singer. She was from Laurel, Mississippi. She, she sang with the Met, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, see, Scott knows who she is. Uh, let's see, where am I? Oh, hymn number 214. Let's stand for this one in case we're getting sleepy. Hymn number 214. Angels, we have heard on high. Great hymn. I wonder as I wonder. 
First time I heard Sean sing, uh, Jess and I went to sing a solo. That we went to see the Lord of the Rings sound that the symphony played. It was Lord of the Rings, right? Yes. And Sean sang a solo. Uh, his voice has changed a little bit. Uh, were you 12 when you did that or 11? 11? Uh, he always amazes me with his pipes. I mean, just you get better, I think, just about every year. Uh, maybe every time I hear you sing. So thank you very, very much. Our next hymn, you may remain seated for joy to the world, hymn number 195.
Our scripture reading for this evening for the consideration of, of the sermon is from the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. Yes, we're going to have to have some preaching to go along with the music. Galatians chapter 4, written by the Apostle Paul and dealing with some issues in the early church. There have been issues in the church since day one. There still continues to be issues that the church has to deal with, even among its own theology. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word uh, this evening? Let's hear the word of the Lord. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Join with me in prayer as we ask God's blessings upon uh, the proclamation of his word this evening. It's not going to be too terribly long in case you're wondering. I have watched the clock. Let's pray quietly for a moment. Ask God to open our hearts and ask him to be with me as I seek to preach this text. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, it is that the history of redemption forms the history of the world. We thank you, our God, for the scriptures, and we thank you for this letter that the apostle wrote and what he said here about uh, the birth of Christ. I would ask you, God, uh, to be with me as I preach it, be with your people as they hear it, cause your word to come to bear by your grace upon our hearts and minds, and change us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What the apostle is doing here when he talks about uh, an heir, that is, when he is younger, uh, he is under guardians, and they... Uh, control the estate for him until the time comes when he comes of age and he inherits uh, what it is that he is to inherit. Well, he compares that then. This is how we once were, as we were given to the elementary things of the world concerning redemption. He says, but we're beyond all that now. And we are beyond the pictures and the shadows and the types presented to us in the Old Testament with the sac- sacrificial system into the reality of redemption accomplished by the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you all probably know the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas. It was written by uh, Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss. It was released in a magazine uh, October the 12th, 1957, a short time after Melinda was born. I had never heard of it until December the 18th, 1966, when it came to television in the form of a cartoon. And the reason I watched it uh, is because I'm a big, big fan of William Henry Pratt. William Henry Pratt is also known as Boris Karloff. He narrated it. He gave a voice uh, to the ghastly green goblin-like Grinch throughout the story, as the Grinch complained and confessed his hatred of Christmas. 
And if I may quote some from uh, the story of uh, the Grinch, uh, one thing I can't stand is the noise, 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 noise. That sounds like Edgar Allan Poe in, this, in the poem of the bells. Uh, they're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. This is the Grinch speaking. Uh, they're just waking up, I know, just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the who's down in the who will cry, boo-hoo. But instead of crying, the Grinch heard singing. Welcome Christmas, your cheer. Cheer to all who's far and near. Christmas Day is in our grasp so long as we have hands to clasp. Then he ponders as only Grinch could ponder, and the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled, and he puzzled until his puzzler was sore. And the Grinch thought of something he had never thought before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more, and the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two? And he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. What is Christmas to you? It is a wonderful time of the year, is it not? You see people this time of the year that you don't see normally. You go to places you don't normally go. Uh, you do things you don't normally do, and you feast on Christmas Day, and you're with family and friends, and what a lovely time it is indeed. But what about the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would often be heard to say? If I ask you what Christmas meant to you, we would get all kind of answers, wouldn't we? We would get, well, it's about lights and candles, and it's about decorations, and it's about packages, and it's about buying gifts for people, and it's this and it's that, and it's uh, the most wonderful time of the year, uh, to quote the song. But one thing we would all have in common is this. We would all say that Christmas is about the birth of Christ. That night in history... Over 2,000 years ago, an event took place, most unusual, most unique, like none that had ever taken place before. And the hymn, God with man is now residing, expresses it very, very well. Emmanuel, God with us, would have us to see this evening uh, very quickly. Uh, we, because uh, people, all people, stand condemned by the law of God. God sent his son into the world to take away the condemnation that the law pronounces against us. Three things this evening. The birth of Christ took place according to God's perfect timing, according to God's perfect grace, and according to God's perfect justice. In the first place, it took place according to God's perfect timing. Notice the language the apostle uses here. In the fullness of time, he says here, Christ was born. His was a planned birth. In eternity past. So the birth of Christ is not a chance event. Rather, it happened at the exact moment determined by the God of all creation. The promise that was made to Adam and Eve, to the world in the garden in Genesis 3.15 that I read a little bit ago, 
came to its fruition on the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was born. The one who is coming to do battle with Satan, the one who is going to do battle with sin and defeat it, had been born. And that's why the angels came and announced it to the shepherds. The lowest of people in those days, a shepherd out in the field by himself, they would normally smell badly because they took care of animals all the time. They smelled like their animals. It wasn't hygiene, wasn't easy back in those days as it is today. Uh, and so they were the lowliest of the low, uh, the shepherds out in the field abiding their flocks as to these people that the angels appear and make this great announcement. Well, why? Uh, why that particular time in history uh, was Christ born? Why 2,000 years ago? Uh, why not before then? Uh, why not after that? Well, uh, we don't know. There are practical reasons we could cite as to why Christ was born that night in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. For one thing, there was a universal language called Greek. The Hellenistic period had come and gone. Alexander had come and had his influence. Alexander the Great died in 323 B.C., and he left quite an impact upon the world. And so there was a common language, and the New Testament is written in that language of Greek. Uh, it was the presence of synagogues throughout the land. Synagogues came into being, they were like little churches scattered around. They came into being during the intertestamental period, between the time of the close of the Old Testament, which is 400 B.C., and the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist, over 400 years later. And those are places where people gathered to hear the Word of God read. And the places where people went to hear the word of God preached after uh, the birth and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was also a place of easy travel. Roman roads made it, uh, get going from one city to another easy. It was also the time of the Pax Romana, which lasted for about 200 years. So all of these things come into play. Uh, if you want to know why, uh, then we can say, well, those things were all in place, you see. But ultimately, we must leave it here. And the birth of Christ took place in the exact year, the exact month. The exact day, the exact minute, the exact second that God had determined beforehand should happen. This consideration ought to restrain all curiosity. And if I may quote, let no man presume to be dissatisfied with the secret purpose of God and raise a dispute as to why Christ did not appear any sooner or any later. So Christ came according to God's perfect timing. The second thing is Christ's birth took place according to God's perfect grace. Uh, The human race, by nature, is separated from God because of our sin. Uh, People don't like to hear that. Uh, We want to be positive. Well, there's nothing more positive than the message of Christ. And there's nothing more precious to the man who recognizes his own sinfulness than the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is altogether holy, and we understand his holiness in two senses. His majestic holiness. In Psalm 19, the psalmist writes this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. A few nights ago, uh, we were out looking through uh, Jess's telescope, and uh, there was Saturn, uh, and there aligned with it was uh, Uranus. Jupiter. Thank you, Don. Jupiter. And you could see the four moons of Jupiter, and you could see the rings of Saturn. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's not by chance that that happened. One of my professors years ago in in one of our classes, one of my uh, seminary professors, Dr. Raymond, the systematician, was talking to us. He was talking about all the movements of the stars and the planets and the galaxies and how fast they were moving. None are stagnant. And 
how that demonstrated a, a beautiful work of engineering. Not chaos, but order. So God then uh, controls all things, controls them, and we see God's sovereignty in all these things, his majestic holiness. But also we can speak of God's ethical holiness, which has to do with his purity. God is altogether pure. We're not. You look at your heart, you know you're not altogether pure. You know that. No one is. You have children, it does not take long to see rebellion in the life of that child. They don't have to be, they don't have to be, be taught how to be selfish, they have to be taught how to share. Why? Well, because that child's life has been influenced by sin, just like ours. But God is altogether pure and altogether righteous and altogether holy. And knowing that and understanding that helps us all the more to wonder. Well, the song that Sean sang, a wonder. We wonder what the great grace of God in his life and God is altogether through and through holy. If I may again read something to you, holiness is not really an attribute of God. To be coordinated with the other attributes, distinguished from in the divine nature, distinguished in the divine nature, rather, it is something coexistent with all, applicable to everything that can be predicted, predicated of God. He is holy in everything that characterizes him and reveals him, holy in his goodness and grace, no less than in his righteousness and wrath. On the other hand, though we were created in perfect righteousness, though we had a perfect relationship with God, and that's changed. You know, you read this news and you read the newspapers and you see the things that happen and you wonder how in the world people can do some of the things that they do. And uh, I remember talking to a man who used to be an elder here. He's moved up. He uh, lives north of here now. He was an attorney. He was talking about a case that he was involved with, and I could not believe that such things happened. We are sinful through and through. Annie Hall movie by Woody Allen, Max von Sydow was playing a character. Some of you have heard me say this before. And he was pontificating about uh, why people do the wicked things they do. And he said, given uh, the condition of man, he said, people wonder what happened with Hitler. He said, given the condition of man, it's a wonder we don't have Hitlers all the time. Very interesting. But then again, Woody Allen is always making social commentary on one thing or another, but it is rather true. Uh, we do see uh, the sinfulness, the sinful heart display itself all the time, contrary to. The God who made us, who has no sin whatsoever. <coughs> and as grace was seen, I don't have COVID. Just a little cough. Everybody's backing up. Um, his great grace is seen, and it, it was his good pleasure to send Christ into the world for the purpose of going to the cross of Calvary and taking our sin and guilt and condemnation upon himself. And then finally, the birth of Christ took place according to perfect justice the text tells us that christ was born under the law what does that mean christ was born under the law well two things for one thing it means christ was subject to the natural laws that he had created uh, if he fell down he would hurt himself he was subject to the law of gravity the one who created and sustained those laws took flesh upon himself and is now subject to those laws that he had created if he cut himself he would bleed we did see in the life of Christ again and again that he kind of 
overruled natural law, his first miracle turning water into wine, that doesn't happen, but it did because Christ was God. He continues to be God, but he turned the water into wine. Uh, and also, um, the second law that he was subject to was the moral law of God. You know, the ten suggestions in the Old Testament. That's right. They're not suggestions, are they? They're called the commandments. But we treat them as suggestions. So often we treat them as nothing more than suggestions. So Christ was subject to the moral law of God, as well as the ceremonial law of God. He was to keep it, and that's exactly what he did. He kept the law for us perfectly. (coughs) And we were represented by him on the cross of Calvary. (coughs) Excuse me just a minute. Um, I may ask someone from a minute, in just a minute, if this doesn't go away. <coughs> I was doing a wedding one time and this happened. That was bad. It was much worse than this. After I got through with the wedding, it was in Hattiesburg. My brother-in-law, Ronnie Rose, brother Norman was there. Norman said to me, you're trying to hawk up along up there. <coughs> I almost did. Okay, back on track. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so he redeemed us. Thank you, Mel. I can't eat this. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <coughs> you stand condemned by God's law. So do I. We break it, actually. We break it in our hearts, and we stand condemned by the law of God. Christ kept the law for us and took the punishment that we deserve upon himself on the cross of Calvary. And by faith, we are made whole. How are are we saved? He says to Peter, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And the text goes on to talk about not simply are we justified, declared not guilty. We are adopted into God's family. So this Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we take him out of the manger We take him to his ministry, we take him to the cross, we take him to the grave, and we take him to the resurrection, and we take him to the ascension to heaven. And there's our hope. That's the Christmas story. And through his work, we have the privilege and the right, through faith in Christ, to call God Father. And that means a great deal, if you think about it. I lost my daddy about 30 years old or so, 31, something like that. He died, 58, young man. But I still have a father, you see, that I can go to, that I can call upon, who loves me more than my daddy could ever have loved me, who accepts me, and who loved me so much that he gave his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were condemned by the law, that we might cry out to God and call him Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and ask your blessings to be upon us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy expressed in Jesus. We pray that you would help us to go from uh, the star in Bethlehem uh, to the star in glory. (coughs) We ask you, our God, to increase (coughs) and give us an increase of faith. In Christ's name, amen. I don't have my phone. Okay.
have a candle. Be careful with them. Don't burn yourself. Make sure it works. Does anybody have one that does not work? This is so much quicker. You just go down the road lighting the real ones, you know, and burning the carpet and stuff like that. Everybody have a candle. If you don't have a candle, please let me know. Got two, two people that need candles over here. <clears throat> I think they're out in the interstate, Jonathan. At the end of the service, before you all leave, I want all the children to come up front. We're going to sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas. I don't care if you know the words or not. It doesn't matter. I want you to come up here and do your best. Uh, if you're two, uh, two uh, to eight or nine or ten or thirty, I don't care. Let's come up front after the service. We're going to sing. We'll do it. Have to do, can we have to do a cappella, I guess? You, can, you know that song, don't you? <laughs> wow, I, I don't know either. <laughs> Are we ready? Everybody got? Okay.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for your grace and goodness to us in Christ. And ask you to give us grace to love you and trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. The people that were in the program, please come up here. If you want to clap for them now, you're welcome to do so. Everyone that was in the program, come up front. Our great pianist. I am their agent, and you give money to me, and I will pass it on to them after some time. Thank all of you. did a great job. It's wonderful, wonderful. Will the children please come up front? Be seated while the children... Steve had an announcement you wanted to make. Let's see, let's go over here where they can see us.